sportsgrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. Sportsgrid.com. And happy July 4th weekend. This is Fantasy Sports Today. Craig Bish, Joe Pizzapia here with you as we got you on our weekend edition of the show every Saturday and Sunday right here on SportsGrid. Joe, how was your weekend going thus far? It's going very well. Very patriotic. I'm enjoying my July 4th again. Rah, rah, America. I like being American, damn it. I consider myself Italian at heart but American in my soul. So you know what? I like the July 4th, and I like the history part of it as well. I'm a big history nerd, and uh, I hope everyone out there is enjoying their July 4th. And again, I'm calling for unity. Joe Pizzapi is calling for unity here in this country, right here on SportsGrid. Let's get under that flag together, everybody. Come on, we can do it. Let's go. Red, white, and blue. Let's do this. All right, so uh, just to kind of recap uh, my Friday, an interesting uh, day as, as baseball around the country sort of came back where we had a lot of workouts for different teams. Uh, I was fortunate enough to go to the Miami Marlins workout, and um, I got to tell you, um, a little bit unexpected there, I got to say, based on uh, some of the things that I saw. And and I have to tell you that it was great to be back there and it was great to be back at a park, but I, I think that I came away with the realization is that Man, we really have no idea what we're in store for uh, with sports in general this year. It is just very much up in the air. It, particularly in South Florida, they had uh, COVID testing at Marlins Park. They, you mm. know, on the on the side of it, not inside, obviously, right, but right. outside. It's drive-through, and just the miles of cars and lines, and and I'm walking through that to get into the park, and the players, I think, are walking through that to mm-hmm. get into the park and just in speaking to some of the people around there and and even with um with a couple of people that I spoke to also in the NFL a couple of NFL agents there is some real uh still real concern that none of this uh gets off the ground and that's not the way that I wanted to start a show off today because I wanted to be all warm and fuzzy starting off walking into a baseball park and seeing baseball for the first time but I, I got to tell you, you have no no one has a clue about any of this until they experienced what I experienced on Friday, which is essentially you're, you're driving. Uh, you know, I, I live about 30 minutes away, so I'm driving down and I'm all excited. I haven't even been to Dade County, which is a county away from where I live. And I'm thinking, yeah, I'm going to see baseball. I'm gonna see ba-. And then you park and then and then you get out of the car and you look and it's like. Just stunning to see right. how many people right. are getting tested. So, look, I'm certainly hopeful that over the next month things uh, normalize a little bit and they're able to right. play these things. And and I saw the great courts that they're putting down in Orlando for the NBA as well. And and certainly football will you know hopefully be back as well. But you know I got to tell you it is it is very much up in the air for everything at this point. That's that was really my takeaway. Mm-hmm with just the amount of things that had to happen just for these guys to have one practice on right. one day on one field, boy, they are up against it. For us, it stinks. We need to have sports back, but I got to be real, and I got to be realistic for the things that I saw. Well, it's funny. You used the word unexpected when you started this, and I don't know why it was unexpected. It feels like, especially where you are right now, it was something you could expect to see the lines of cars and to see what's going on there. And I don't know if it's the same exact vibe in places like Florida and Texas and Arizona as it is in other locations where, again, maybe the the curve has been flattened already and some other, you know, when you're in a place or a state that's trending in the wrong direction, I imagine that is almost as close to worst case scenario as it gets. So if that is indeed worst case scenario and they're still going through with it, I will take the other approach here and be, Cautiously optimistic, although I agree with you 100%. It is tenuous, and at any moment, it could get out of control, and that is a real possibility. But um, again, it's I think it's very interesting because we are on different ends of the spectrum. A few months ago, I was on a whole different spectrum of view because of where I lived and what I saw, and now kind of seeing where the numbers are. There's only 300 new cases in New Jersey yesterday. That's it, 300? I mean, that is an incredibly low number compared to where we were just a few months ago. Uh, the daily rates were in the thousands. So I, I am hopeful as well. And I think the encouraging thing is that you saw people getting tested because that's very important too. Knowledge is very important, and that's how you're able to 
defeat this disease at some point in time. And you want to have knowledge and scientific power behind you. And you want to have accurate numbers and accurate testing. So I'm glad people are getting tested. I hope people aren't just getting tested, you know, for the sake of it. I hope they're not, you know, for people who are sick, let them go ahead of you, please. And that was another problem at one point. But um, look, first day back, I'm sure is very scary. But I guess to a certain extent, Craig, do people ever adjust to whatever the new normal is eventually? Yeah, you know, I have no idea. I, I just know that there's there's no possible way that anybody could could experience what I did and think that there is any positive to that. None. I, I just there's no possible way. It's easy for you to say that, mm-hmm. but you walking you walking to your local grocery shop and seeing five miles of cars of people getting tested where you know that within those five oh, miles- Oh, I've seen it. I've seen the five miles of cars. I've seen it here in New Jersey. Well, more than that, so, my friend. Walking, yeah. through, walking through the cars mm-hmm. to get to your grocery shop or wherever you're going and knowing that there are going to be people that die that are in those cars, potentially, it, is, it, it takes, it takes away from any joy of being able to cover baseball. And, that's, and that's, uh, you know what? That's, that's absolutely true. But again, this is what's frustrating is that, you know, people, until it hits you, it doesn't become a reality. This reality is something that we've already kind of, I don't want to say lived through, but lived through to a greater extent already where I am in the Northeast. And it was incredible. And I feel like now some other parts of the country are finally kind of getting it. I just wish people didn't have to get hit over the head with it to follow the guidelines and be safe and just be courteous to one another. And I think that's what's so frustrating. Yeah. Well, I mean, I can't say that your city is safe or any city is safe at this point. Just because you don't have it now doesn't mean you can't have it again. And that right, is- of course. That is that is a serious concern. And by the way, it is not a good thing that all these people are getting tested in that spot because they have to have a better system than having 5,000 cars and, and waiting six hours in your car to get a test for this stuff. This is why you have inconsistencies, and that's something you can't have. That's why certain federal mandates are important. I know Texas just put a mask law into place for the foreseeable future, so that's a positive thing. But again, it's you know it, you know a couple of weeks ago that was not the case, and a couple of weeks ago could have saved some lives. Yeah, well, my, my confidence level on all this stuff definitely went down from uh, from some of the things that I saw. I'm happy that baseball is back to a degree, and certainly I'm hopeful that they're they're going to get it off. I'm rooting for them to get it off. Mm-hmm. I'm not like some of these other people who are not. Uh, but at, at this stage, my expectation for sports in 2020 beyond what we've seen so far is low, and I think it could get shut down at any time. But I'm hopeful, and I'm hopeful that we'll be able to get a chance to see it. Um Boy, the fantasy aspect of this really took a bizarre turn uh, yesterday also. And Mike Trout essentially said that 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 he doesn't know if it's basically in his best interest to play out the 2020 season. Now, yesterday on the show, we had Gray Albright, and you're going to uh, see Gray talk about later on um, in his rankings. Essentially, he put Mike Trout at number three. And after hearing you know the comments yesterday, I don't know how you can have Trout even in the top 10 or 20 if you're doing a redraft at this point. He's pretty much made it clear that we'll have to see where the season is at. And if it's any difficulty for him, he's going to be with his family, which is where he should be. It just creates a dynamic for fantasy this year that we've never seen before. And I think the hits are going to keep on coming. So we'll just have to kind of keep an eye on that. But uh, Trout, the best player in the world, essentially saying that, you know, he doesn't know if he's going to play out this thing. And every player individually deserves that opportunity to make that call for themselves and for their families. And none of us should begrudge them that because we cannot put ourselves in their shoes. And we knew that this was going to come anyway. Uh, and there will be repercussions in the negative and positive from that, I'm sure. Uh, actually, on Monday's show, we're going to have the Welsh on, and he's going to talk to us about some of those prospects, including Joe Adele, who could benefit potentially from more playing time and the opportunity to kind of start the season with the team, which is something maybe we didn't think was possible 10 days ago or two weeks ago. But now it looks very, very possible of a guy like Joe Adele getting maybe 50-something games at the, quote, big league level this year. So uh, there are some fantasy repercussions to discuss, and there will be more of them because more players will opt out as we get closer and closer. And our, our hope is that as testing ramps up and all these protocols ramp up, that we can get everybody aware, get everybody tested, get people in situations where they know who's got what, how to handle it, can quarantine them, keep them healthy, and then keep them away from other folks and do the contact tracing and everything else. It's going to take a few weeks to get everything in place. And hopefully what you saw today in day one is not what you're going to say in day 15, 16, 17 going forward. Hopefully there will be some improvements there. I'm sure day one was absolutely shocking for you. 
Uh, yeah, I mean, it was shocking for me. I mean, it was shocking for Don Mattingly, who I asked about it after the practice today. And, you know, he's three days in, so it's a little different now. But, <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I, I just um, – it, it just was a sobering thought to think that this is where they're going to try and play baseball games. And it's the same place where there's, you know, thousands and thousands of cars doing it. So um, I won't ever uh, forget that one. And, um, and by the way, try walking into a stadium and getting tested – uh, on the spot there and standing six feet away from people trying to watch uh, baseball practice. It's, um, it's, it's very, very uncomfortable. And, and look, I, I really give now a lot more credit to the players for actually trying this thing. And I Me don't, too. I don't discredit it at all. If any of the sports, whether it's baseball, basketball, or football, anybody decides to not play this year. I, I, I mean, I, I, I have to make a conscious decision if I really want to keep going down uh, to Marlins Park, and, and honestly, uh-huh. with what I'm able to gain by being down there, it is not in my best interest to continue to go down there. When they play scrimmages and there's some real uh, information to ascertain, but um, I feel fair. privileged to be able to be there. But th- the gain for me is is risking something over 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 watching a practice. It's mm-hmm. you know I, I thought about that today too when I left, and so when they start playing you know inter squad games or have some real drills. I'll be the first one there. I got that. I mean, the Marlins were so great. I mean, I got the best seat in the house, I think, for all the media, too. But it was um, it was a different different day. That's for sure. On Friday, Um, the Redskins look like they may be no more. So we should say Redskins a few times because I think that we're about to bid farewell to the name. It's probably a long time coming at this point. Overdue. FedEx making the announcement that they would like to see Washington change their name. We see it in all sports. I think that staunch defenders of the name Washington Redskins and fans and season ticket holders, look, 10 years ago, there was fights over it. You know, maybe it made sense at the time. The nature of the world we're living in now, I think it's a matter of probably days, not even months, before they they change their name. Yeah, well, it's long overdue, and this is the problem. It's like when you leave something to spoil in the fridge, eventually you don't just get rid of that Tupperware. You have to clean out the entire refrigerator, and that's kind of what happened already, I feel like, in this country. So... Now we got to clear out the refrigerator. And Brett, our esteemed producer, has a great name. The Sentinels, straight out of the movie The Replacements, one of the great underrated football movies. It makes sense. It's about standing guard. It's very patriotic. I'm a big fan. The Red Tails, which is part of that Tuskegee Airmen group, uh, also a cool idea. It would be a nice gesture, too. But, like, there's so many better names. Let's not get hung up on the names of teams, okay? Let's let's take away things like Redskins and move forward here. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I hope so. You think Sentinels is the name? What, I don't they, know. It's, it's not bad. It was kind of fun. We kind of what was the name of the quarterback? Falco was it? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Not Flacco. Falco, just Shane Falco. Shane Falco. I remember his name very well. Yeah. <laughs> All right. We're yeah, gonna. Have... I, I, I heard Renegades is is a name being tossed around. No, no. Well, it could be as well. Well, we're gonna hit a break and talk about some birthdays here. We come back on fantasy sports today. Craig Mitch and Joe Pizapia, right back after this. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. And welcome back to Fantasy Sports Today. Craig Bish, Joe Pizapia, and we turn to July 4th weekend here. Happy Independence Day for those of you who are celebrating out there and We turn our attention to this day in fantasy sports history for the 4th and the 5th of July for your weekend edition of Fantasy Sports Today right here on SportsGrid. So let's get things started, Joe. Happy July 4th to you. Happy July 4th to you, Craig Mish, and happy birthday to the little Mr. Mish as well. I know it was a big weekend for him as well. So hopefully uh, everything's going well and you're having some fun there. And uh, again, you know, it's uh, you got to celebrate the joys while you have them, boys and girls. That's what it's all about. No doubt about that. All right, uh, so this day in fantasy sports history for July 4th, let's get started and start off in 1980, July 4th. Nolan Ryan becomes the fourth pitcher ever to notch 3,000 strikeouts. 1983, Dave Rigetti throws a no-hitter for the New York Yankees. I remember this one well, Joe. I feel like 
may have been watching this one at the time. I was definitely watching this one. I remember watching this on July 4th. I remember being in my apartment in Brooklyn as a kid and watching this and going, wow, this is crazy. This is the most incredible thing I've ever seen. Because usually at night we go out in Brooklyn and somewhere there would be fireworks. But I remember during the day watching this game and it was just, and again, you're, you're very small. I think at the time I was only five years old. So I knew something important was going on. I didn't quite grasp the no hitter thing. I just grasped that something cool was going on. And how about Nolan Ryan, by the way? I mean, Nolan Ryan has given us more history on this show than anybody else. This he guy's a history has. machine. He is MVP of this segment. It's Nolan be. Ryan, period, end of story. Nobody's given us more history than that, dude. 2004, Barry Bonds, Sammy Sosa, Ken Griffey Jr., all named to the NL All-Star team for the first time in history. Three outfielders, one team, 500 home runs. Interesting. Yeah, it's that that, uh, a day that I didn't know. Uh, but I skipped over one, and we'll go back to it now, because in 1995, the Birmingham Barracudas play their first ever CFL game, beating Winnipeg 38-10. to You may look at this and say, wait a second, Birmingham CFL? That is right. The Birmingham Barracudas, Joe, in 1995, played one season in the Canadian Football League. They played their games in Alabama, and then, mm -hmm. of course, they shut down operations after 95. But... Something I didn't know, so we bring it to the show. Yeah, it's one thing Craig likes. It's uh, defunct football organizations. That's something he's always it. a big fan of. He can't get well, enough. Oh, no, CFL's still going strong. <laughs> That's a CFL. Strong. No, but the team. <laughs> you said the team. The, the, team is, the team is done. But listen, the CFL has been around for a long time. They continue to play. Absolutely. What, what do they get right that these other leagues don't? I don't know, but the one thing I still don't understand is, and I never got this back in the day either, why the – field goal post is in the middle of the end zone. Can someone explain that to me? Like who, why, why was that a thing at one point? Like what, who was thinking about that being a good idea? That seems like just a disaster waiting to happen across all fronts. It's a good question. We'll have to ask the, the, uh, Canadian and how many rough club. riders are there? That's my other question. I can never get the rough riders straight. There's like 12 of them. I, I can't, I can't do it. Still, still hanging around. <laughs> all right. 2006, no more Garcia Parra. He ties the MLB record for being hit three times by three different pitchers in one game. Not bad. It Not bad. What, what did he say to those guys the day before? Like, out, was it a, out, I don't know. <laughs> that's what he said the day of the day before what, yes, what did he say to get hit i want to know what what the stat line was the day before i should have gone into like dug that up like did he just did he just like rake the day before and he was just awesome like he Maybe went four so. for four and the next day like no this guy no we're gonna just hit him every single time he gets up there uh the one thing uh, you know i enjoyed nomar as a player i do not miss the shtick of the of the thing with this. Yeah, he wouldn't be allowed to uh, do that now, I don't think. That's, well, <laughs> allowed. I don't know. But, like, could you stop him? I don't know. I guess you can. Yeah, I, I suppose, yeah. That's a long at-bat, man. Well, I mean, yeah, on that. Yeah. him versus Daisuke Matsuzaka, that's like a three-hour event right there. Oh, for one at-bat. All right, this day in fantasy sports birthdays for July the 4th. Besides my son, we got Al Davis in 1929 and George Steinbrenner in 1930. Both passed away, of course, but both... Very iconic names in the sport. Yeah, and kind of owners, too. Maybe your son will own a, uh, some sort of sports franchise. Look at yeah. that. Al Davis and Steinbrenner. I forgot about Al Davis being July 4th, too. Look at that. Maybe someday we'll all be working for your son. We'll like, run awesome. some team somewhere. The Rough Riders, hopefully. 1962, Pam Shriver, great tennis player, great announcer for tennis as well. 1963, Jose Oquendo, the original secret weapon in baseball. Then they named everybody the secret weapon after that. I'm not sure how that all happened, but Oquendo, really good player, of course, came up with the Mets and then the St. Louis Cardinals. Uh, 1965, Horace Grant, Harvey Grant, the Twins in the NBA. Mm -hmm. One with the Bulls and uh, Magic, the other with Washington Bullets, I believe, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, 1967, Vinny Castilla, one uh, great baseball player for a long period of time with the Rockies, of course. Went to Atlanta, back to Colorado, had some great years as well. Any thoughts on any of these before we move on to yeah. the Yeah, Jose Okendo, one of the few guys to play every position in Major League Baseball. A lot of people forget that. That's a pretty cool thing to be able to say. Of all the things you could do, that's a pretty cool thing to be able to pull off. I don't know. Did he do it in one season? That seems to ring a bell. Like, that actually happened one I don't think he did it in one game. I don't one, think. Not one game. One season. I think he did it in one season. It's possible. I believe okay. it. Well, I believe it was 87 or 88 or something like that. I could be wrong. Uh, Vinny Castillo, one of my favorite early fantasy baseball guys. I just loved the power at third base of Vinny Castillo. I loved all those those Colorado Rocky guys, man. That was some fun teams with him, Bichette, and Colorado and those guys. I, I miss that. I want more bombers back over there in Colorado. Just, just beat everybody to death with home runs. That's how you win there. This day in fantasy sports history for July the 5th is as follows. 1947, 
Larry Doby becomes the first African-American player to play in the American League. Jackie Robinson, of course, earlier was the National League. 1987, Mark McGuire, a rookie in Major League Baseball, is the first to hit 30 home runs ever before the Major League Baseball All-Star break. 1991, the owners in Major League Baseball approve the expansion in baseball. Two teams. One will be called the Colorado Rockies. The other will be called the Florida Marlins. Both teams playing in different stadiums than they played in back then. 1998, the Yankees beat the Orioles on the, on July 5th, one to nothing, and they start off 61 and 20, which is the best start to date in Major League Baseball history. And 2015, the U.S. women's soccer team beats Japan five to two to win the World Cup. Joe. Yeah, and the 88 Yankees, correct me if I'm wrong, did not make the playoffs. Look at that, started so strong. And did not make the playoffs. 98, that year, right? Joe. 98. Oh, I thought it said 88. Oh, I apologize. 98. 98. Oh, my bad. Uh, it's too much July 4th fun for me. Ignore me. I'm crazy. I thought you said 88 for a second there. I was like, oh, wow. I didn't realize I, I got to that. I don't think I did, but if I did, I'm sorry. It was no, 18. that's okay. It's, it happens. It's the weekend, man. Things are lighter around here. I will say this, though. Let's not forget in 87 how McGuire, you know, did finish with 49 home runs as a rookie. You know, anyone who thinks McGuire was a fluke wasn't watching McGuire's career and his trajectory. He's one of the great power hitters, one of the great home run hitters of all time, regardless of anything else. And I, you know, we can have that conversation. We've had it. I want to have it again. Uh, but, yeah, the 98 Yankees, obviously, that was one of those wire-to-wire -wire seasons where, yeah, that was the team. It was a foregone conclusion. And then they ran through the Padres then, right? That was the Padres year, I believe. Uh, am I getting something right here today? With was correct. It was the okay, Padres. So there you go. I mean, do you remember a team in recent memory in baseball that you knew was going to be wire to wire like that? Like nobody was going to beat them from day one till the end of the World Series? No, I, I don't think so. Not really. You don't no. see that as much, right? But you knew that year it was. I mean, I, I feel like the Dodgers are as close to that as we've ever gotten. But I, I could see them losing in the World Series every time, which they have. <laughs> this is this is true this is yeah. absolutely true there yeah all right this day in fantasy sports birthdays for the fifth as we close it out we've got goose gossage in 1951 hall of famer 1956 james lofton wide receiver in the nfl also a hall of famer 1985 megan rapineau from the u.s women's soccer team great champion there as well 1988 ish smith from the NBA. That's that's what you got today. Uh, James Lofton, I was a big fan of. I remember him again when I with the Bills days. That's that's where I go back with James Lofton. Uh, but yeah, like that was uh, one of the underrated wide receivers. I feel like in the NFL during that era, uh, he was kind of just was getting you know aging out. Just when the big time wide receivers were really popping and scoring got a little bit more wide open in the NFL. Uh, I got nothing about Ish Smith. Megan Rapino, obviously fantastic, very important athlete too. Uh, and Goose Gossage, the throwback, the throwback to the reliever who would come in, not just in the ninth inning, sometimes yep. in the seventh inning or the eighth inning or even the sixth inning, come in with bases loaded and one out and be asked to get out of a jam. And that's why I always say when you're talking about relievers, Saves does not impress me. <laughs> like, I, you know, that's why I look at Trevor Hoffman or Billy Wagner and someone like, I just, I don't know, I roll my eyes because they were not the kind of guys that, you know, when you think of Hall of Fame relievers, I think it's in that elite level of guys like Rivera, who was just untouchable, even though he was, you know, more in that coming with the clean inning kind of guy. He did go some two innings in there. Eckersley's in that group. Gossage is in that group. But these other guys are just these, you know, clean inning save accumulators. For me, uh, they don't do it for me, Craig. Do you, do you really think that they should be held in the same level as relievers like Goose Gossage? No, but, you know, again, they're they're only asked to do a certain job. True. And, and they do it at a high level. It's the equivalent of basically, you know, and I, I understand that Edgar Martinez and Harold Baines were everyday players, but everyday players who didn't play the field. And 20 years ago, you would have never considered putting a DH-only player in the uh, Hall of Fame. And and that's changed significantly. And I think that that's what they're identifying is, hey, look, this is what you were assigned to do based on that assignment. Where were you in terms of success? Mm -hmm. And should we put the highest level success guys in the Hall of Fame? There's a good debate to be had. I am on the same side as you with this. Um, I, I don't believe that some of those players should be in the Hall of Fame. Um, but I think that there will be a watered down effect for uh, bullpen guys and closers for sure. And, and look, we've we really essentially haven't had many, if at all, setup guys who've got to the to the the no, uh, no. to the Hall of Fame. And we will. 
We will. That that's next. That's what's going to happen. Is who were the best setup guys ever? Some of that conversation will have to be had. And and no, I don't think Billy Wagner's a Hall of Famer. Do I think he's going to get in the Hall of Fame? Yes. I have a question that's... for you too, because you talk about the DH thing real quick. I know we're up against it, but uh, do you think that now that there's a good chance that going forward we have the National League DH kind of stick around, whether it be after the CBA or before or what have you? Yes. That that's going to change our dynamic a little bit about the DH as a position. Yeah, for sure. I mean, we, and Ortiz is going to get in too. You're going to have you're going to have three DH primary DH guys in the last five years get in. And Baines, who didn't get voted in, but through the Veterans Committee, and then uh, and then Martinez, and then a big poppy. So look, when when Eddie Murray got in, there was discussion. Oh, he played DH a lot at the end of his career, but there was just his numbers were staggering. Now you look at it, and it's a position in baseball that people are asked to play. Uh, Frank Thomas played a lot of DH at the end of his career, too. And if you're asked to throw one inning and you do it very well and there's no one throwing two innings, what are you going to do? Yeah. It's also going to be our first July, by the way, without a Major League Baseball All-Star game in our lifetime. Yes. So that's going to be an interesting interesting little piece of information, too. I mean, not that we're surprised about that, but it's a little weird. That is that Midsummer Classic, and that's uh, one of those, I don't know, marks of time in a way so it's another one of those things that we're losing this year which is kind of tough i think right yeah yeah would it would have been uh great to have and certainly i've had some of the most fun i've ever had going to baseball all-star games but yeah, no derby equation Ugh. this year good news for la is they're getting it uh, back in two years very similar to the draft in the nfl where they took it away from vegas in two years they're going to bring it back there it's just mm-hmm. the right thing to do you got to reward the teams that you awarded to in the first place all right we'll be back with more fantasy sports today and when we come back next we kick around some fantasy football talk mark Grant was on the show earlier this week. He'll join Joe next, and then Gray Albright will join me for our final segment today. You're watching the weekend edition of FST. We're back after this. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. is sports grid get on the grid hey yo welcome back everybody to fantasy sports today right here on sports grid and our next guest is one of my favorite people to talk football with he's getting about 10 minutes of adult time to himself <laughs> to chat with us here you know him from nfl media you know him from the podcast on nfl network you know him from tv i mean just everything because he's super famous but uh, of course he doesn't let it go to his head he's my pal and a pal of the show here marcus grant marcus welcome to the program my friend appreciate it joe thanks for the invite uh, it's always great to talk with you, man. And again, it's it's nice, I'm sure, for you with having a, a small child around now. It's an adjustment <laughs> for you. Just to talk to an adult every now and then is nice, I imagine, right? It is nice, you know, especially with, one day it'll be nice to talk to these people like in person. But for now, I guess we, we settle for uh, for video conferencing. As it is. Uh, you know, let's kick things off here with probably the biggest story in the NFL. It probably sent shockwaves through everywhere for the last uh, couple days. And it's the Cam Newton signing of the New England Patriots. And uh, look, I mean... It makes a lot of sense on paper. In every sense of the word here, you're getting an MVP caliber quarterback, a guy who took a team to a 15-1 record, a guy who took a team to a Super Bowl, who was just 31 years old on an incentive-laden deal. I mean, Bill Belichick basically comes in there and does it again. From a fantasy perspective, what are your expectations realistically here in terms of what you think Cam Newton has left in the tank for 2020 and, and maybe even beyond here? Well, I think, you know, if you go back to the last time he was healthy, and I know that you got to go back a year and a half, almost two seasons to, to find that. I mean, this is a guy who was a top 10 fantasy quarterback. And I think that, you know, having had the time off, having missed essentially all of last season, having had the off season to recover, uh, you know, I don't know if Instagram videos count as, you know, proof of health, but if that's the case, then Cam's doing great. Um, <laughs> Look, he, he, here's a guy who you know, we know he's efficient running the football. He's never really been an accurate guy, but that hasn't stopped him before. Everybody talks about a lack of weapons in the New England offense beyond Julian Edelman, maybe James White. But it's not as though you know Cam has had a ton of great receivers. He had Steve Smith, and then you're looking at what, Kelvin Benjamin, Devin Funches. I mean, it's not exactly a murderer's row. So <laughs> right now, right now, I've got Cam ranked as my, my QB 15 
Um, and I think that's kind of a, a good sort of, I mean, it is really pretty middle of the road when you're talking about starters there. But if you're talking about drafting him, you're not giving up a lot of draft capital for a guy who, when things are right, is a top 10 quarterback. It is, it is I think, a lot of low risk with high reward. You know, you love guys that control their own fantasy points. And Cam Newton's one of those guys like Josh Allen because he runs the football because he can have the rushing touchdowns. And, you know, I play a lot of super flex. You know, we've had these discussions lots of times. And I feel like this is a great upside quarterback, too, in super flex leagues, man. All of a sudden, like Cam Newton kind of rockets up that board. It'll be fascinating to see how they tailor things to him because, you know, they're going to because that's what they do best. They tailor whatever they have in terms of the best talent. Let's use them to the best of their abilities instead of to whatever we think. Uh, but that's going to be fascinating to watch. I know the most polarizing guy probably coming into this draft season is Todd Gurley. He's in a new spot here with Atlanta, and everybody's got an opinion, so I wanted to get yours because I know I've got mine, but everyone's going to take a mine. So let's hear somebody way smarter than me about it. So tell me, where is Todd Gurley for you this year? What is your expectation, and do you think he is still an RB1? No, I think he's a fringe RB1. I am actually drafting him kind of more on the RB2 range, but – what I do like about his situation in Atlanta is that I think he's going to get more targets. That was the big hole in his game last year, and it was sort of inexplicable. When the Rams had thrown him the ball plenty the first few years he was there, then all of a sudden last year, Sean McVay just stops throwing Todd Gurley the football. So uh, I think you're going to get it more from Matt Ryan. I think he's going to get that target number back up, which gives him a lot more upside. The, the X factor, obviously, is the knee issue and how healthy he's going to be. But, you know, if we can assume that he still gets a, a pretty healthy workload of around 250 touches, throw in a few extra targets, I mean, I think there's a really good chance for a decent bounce back for him. Yeah, see, I, I agree. I, I'm looking for those targets, too. I mean, Atlanta throws the ball more than anybody else. All of a sudden, they just vanished in terms of targets from the Rams last year. And I, I'm liking Gurley where you're going somewhere in like the third round, which is kind of cool because if you compare him with a Saquon or a Zeke or somebody that you feel really good about, I feel like it's a risk I'm willing to take. Do you think like that's kind of the sweet spot to make sure you're pairing him with a true number one so you kind of like mitigate your risk a little bit? Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, there were mock drafts, especially early in mock draft season where, you know, I would get a, a high draft pick and maybe land like a Zeke or, or a Kamara or somebody like that and come back around and get Gurley on the backside. And, and I felt pretty good about that. Yeah. So, um, you know, and that, once you do that, it allows you to kind of you know, take a lot of chances on wide receivers a little bit later on in your draft. But I mean, I do think that if you can get him as your RB2, I think, you know, you have the potential of maybe getting two RB1 caliber players on your all right, we're talking about guys on one-year deals. It seems like a theme here, so let's throw out another one. Let's just keep going, and let's go with Kareem Hunt, another guy who is now, you know, obviously has to share the backfield with Nick Chubb, but if you look at the targets and where they started to go in terms of the passing game, you saw Kareem Hunt really start to emerge, and it wasn't that long ago. I like to shake people sometimes and remind them, you know, this guy's only 24 years old. This guy only a couple years ago was a top-five overall pick. And was just, you know, blowing the doors off fantasy uh, <laughs> rosters everywhere. And, yeah, he's sharing a backfield. I get that. But at the same time, I'm looking at him as, like, the quintessential flex running back if I can get him. And I think he's got upside for way more potentially, too. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and because, look, Hunt is going to get fewer touches than Nick Chubb. I mean, there's, there's no way around that. But he's getting high-value touches, right, in our PPR world that we now all inhabit. Um Getting those targets, getting those receptions, it is more, it is worth more than just a regular carry. So that will sort of balance, I think, the numbers out a little bit in terms of their fantasy points overall. Uh, I still think Nick Chubb is going to have an excellent year. I will say, I think he falls out of the top 10, though, in terms of, of fantasy sure. running backs, just because look, we saw his target number decrease significantly once Kareem Hunt came back last year. So you spread that out over a 16-game season, and I think Nick Chubb still, you know, potentially a top 15 running back, but I think top 10 is going to be hard. But look, again, you're talking about getting Chubb maybe as an RB2, and you're, you're, you mentioned Kareem Hunt as a flex guy. Uh, it's a pretty solid one-two punch if you're looking at it. Now, I'm curious, what do you think about long-term? Who would you rather have in a dynasty format? Would you rather have Hunt or would you have Chubb? I, I know it's kind of a loaded question. We've seen RB1 seasons from both of them, but hey, we're, I ask the tough questions. That's why I get the medium bucks. <laughs> yeah, I think in a dynasty format, I'd probably go Chubb. I mean, he's just a little bit younger, I think. Uh, and he can catch the football. I mean, it's, not, it's not like he can't catch the football. They just decided to, you know, they had a different separation, division of labor uh, when Kareem Hunt got there. So you're talking about a guy with receiving upside who's a little bit younger. I think that's kind of where I go. 
All right, let's talk about a bounce-back guy here. And uh, obviously last year did not go well for the Pittsburgh Steelers. I think we all know that. It went well for the defense, at least. It, all things considered, it was pretty difficult considering the quarterback play really put them behind the eight ball. But Juju Smith-Schuster, obviously a guy that going into last year was right in that first, you know, I would say end of the turn, somewhere around there in terms of value. Now you're getting him a few rounds later. So is this just an automatic for you where Big Ben's back, Juju goes back into the slot, and all of a sudden – you know, we're right back to where we were last year, or is there any sort of pause for you when it comes to Smith-Schuster? Look, man, I want to get on board, you know? I'm rocking my Trojan shirt here, I right? Figured, I, I mean, I, I know I, it's a loaded question to ask, I, but I'm going to ask him anyway. I do want to get on board. Like, I, I have concerns, though, about Ben. Like, yes, it's great that Ben's back. Does he make it through a full season? I'm talking about a 38-year-old guy who's had a pretty significant injury history, especially in the last few years. Uh, I wrote recently on NFL.com that I haven't seen this much hanging on one right arm since Henry Rowengardner took down the Mets, uh, you know, at the end of the you National had to League bring season. That, up. that was a very difficult game for me. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure. I mean, gosh. Uh, but, but, yeah, I mean, look, if, if, you, if you could promise me that Ben Roethlisberger stays healthy for – Heck, even 14 games, right? I'm all aboard with Juju, again, being kind of a fringe wide receiver one. But I, I've just been hesitant to, to take Juju in, in any situation just because I don't have that level of confidence that Ben's going to make it through the season. And they didn't do anything. They, they didn't go get Jameis Winston. They didn't no, they get did Cam Newton. I thought he was the guy. I thought Winston was their guy. Right. right. And so if it gets back to the Mason Rudolph-Duck Hodges show, then I, I don't want to be a part of that again. No, I, I don't either. It's you know, it's funny as a Met fan, we even get you know the shaft even in fictitious baseball. <laughs> it's a really difficult thing. So uh, I mean, I, I love the rookie of the year reference. For those, for those of you going, what the hell are they talking about? This is what happens when you're over 35 and you have yep. conversations with your friends. These are yep. the references you make. Yep. All right, let's let's talk about the Steelers on the other side of that too. Let's let's talk a little bit about Deontay Johnson because. Is that the same kind of thing? Because obviously we're talking way later in terms of draft capital. He's a lot cheaper guy, but somebody else has got to catch the ball in this offense. And we know historically there's at least 2,000 yard receivers available on the Pittsburgh Steelers. Right. So I'll ask you, do you think Deontay Johnson is the other one? Uh, I mean, he is the other guy in Pittsburgh. Okay. Um, and I feel sort of the same way though, right? Like if Ben's there, I think Deontay Johnson can go to the moon. I, if, if not, um, then you know, we put that on pause for another year. But if you're looking for a second pass catcher that offense, it's without a doubt to meet Deontay Johnson. All right. You have a plan for tight end this year? Are you somebody who likes to pay up for the premium guys? Or are there some guys in that middle, that Andrews Waller group, or are you even going later and like maybe the Noah Fant group of guys? Like where do you seem to land right now in terms of where you like the returns on the draft for tight ends? So I've, I've either gone really early. I mean, there have been a couple of drafts where I've gone and got and grabbed George Kittle early on, um, or I go really late and I'm, you know, I'm a, a Gasicki. Uh, you know, maybe a Johnny oh, Smith. Oh, no, I've lost you to the Gesicki Mafia. Too. Oh, yeah, I'm part, I'm part of that crew. I'm oh, part of that crew goodness. now. Um, so I go Gesicki, you know, I, I like Johnny Smith. I, I, you know, Noah Fant right. is hanging out there. We're back now. Um, now, we're, now we're friends again. I, I, have found, I have found that the drafts where I take a guy kind of in the middle rounds, like, you know, if I settle like on a Hunter Henry or somebody like that, like, I just don't like the rest of the team around it. Like all the things I'm, I'm, I'm passing up on for a tight end that I'm not, you know, a hundred percent in love with. Um, it just, it just doesn't sit well with me. So I'm like, either if I don't, if I don't you know, make the move and get Kittle early on, then I'm waiting a long time. Do you think Ertz is still part of that elite tier? Or do you think he's actually closer to the middle of the pack than he is the top of it? I think he's kind of that second tier guy, maybe even you know, kind of near the bottom. I don't seriously, I'm not, I'm not sold on Dallas Goddard as being his big breakout tight end, but I'm sold on Dallas Goddard doing just enough to wreck Zach Ertz's fantasy value. Oh, that, that sounds just awful enough. Uh, <laughs> all right. So is there anybody for you this year that you see like people are kind of out on that you're in on? Is it like a David Montgomery type guy that had high expectations and maybe like post hype or like who are some of the Marcus Grant guys real quick that, you know, that people don't seem to be as on that you love and you make sure that you're prioritizing? Um, David Johnson is probably top of the list for me. And I know that the, the Twitter battle rages on about what David Johnson uh, can be. And yes, last year it, it ended badly for him. But I, I went back and looked, and those first five or six games were better than you remember. I mean, right. he, he ran the ball effectively. He scored touchdowns. He caught the ball. He got hurt. And I, I felt like he rushed back a little bit early from his back injury. And you know, the Kenyon Drake, maybe it was pressure from Kenyon Drake from how well he was playing, but I felt like he rushed back in. 
uh, it really didn't help him out a whole lot. And, and you saw the results, but uh, I think in Houston with nobody to, to really take carries from him, I think, you know, he'll catch the ball just enough in that offense to be worthwhile. Uh, I, I think, you know, if you're, if you're big, don't make him as an RB one, like that's a mistake, but if right. you can get right. him in the mid rounds as your second running back, I think you're fine. All right. We could go all day, but we can't. He's Marcus Grant. Go follow him on Twitter at Marcus G and check him out of NFL network. We'll be right back more FSD right after this. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. And welcome back to Fantasy Sports Today. As we close out the week, we do it the same way we do every week with our good friend Gray Albright from Razball.com. Head on over there. The baseball season is getting ready to start up. Of course, the football season is uh, coming as well. And so all of those things can be previewed and purchased. And there's a lot of free content, too, at our friends at Razball.com. They do a really good job. And guess what? They do something different than a lot of the other people do. They actually win leagues. How about that? What? It's true. <laughs> it's true. Hey, maybe not this year where I don't really even know what my strategy is supposed to be with yeah. games. Yeah, I'm yeah. like, do I, I feel like here's, here's what I, this is what I'm going on. I, I don't know if this is right because I've never played a 60 game uh, MLB season for fantasy before, but what I'm going on is going for categories versus player names, which is easier said than done in shallower leagues. So for instance, I may not look at someone like a, uh, you know, Jorge Polanco, for instance. I think he's pretty good in a 162-game season. But if he's only giving me six homers, two steals, and a 280 average over 200 at-bats, Yeah, that was not a good sound effect to end on Jorge that was that was not great. So so I'll I'll tell you what I am thinking, and it, this is really really difficult for me because uh, here at SportsGrid I have the ability to talk about honestly whatever I want. They give me carte blanche to do that, but primarily it's a lot of baseball and certainly fantasy as well. But Gray, I have to tell you that after the news yesterday, I am I am really. I'm struggling with the idea of of getting back on the horse and doing it again, and I'll explain to you why. I, I think that there will be some room for fun, and I and I would encourage that for those people who love fantasy baseball to play for fun. But I think the final blow for me, so to speak, Gray, is this new deal with the injured list, uh, the COVID injured list, because uh, we're at the point now where yesterday the Phillies put their closer and arguably one of their top five players on the injured list for undisclosed reasons. And we know what those are. I mean, Gray, what? I mean, this, this is only the first team to report anything. I just, I don't know how we're going to even be able to construct a team or a draft. I mean, the luck factor to me was already going to be, on a winning a league, was already going to be 60, 70%, no matter what. I mean, I think it's like 95% this year, Gray. Like, I mean, I don't, I don't, I, the only draft I could do would be the night before the season and for free. I mean, I don't, I don't know what other league I could do. Yeah, no, I agree. I, uh, you know, I heard some people comparing the fantasy baseball season this year to fantasy football, but I don't even know if that's accurate because, like, for instance, Garrett Cole doesn't play every fifth game in a fantasy football season. Right. So it's like you're you're sort of apples to oranges when you compare those two. I agree. It's going to be a weird season. And, you know, with the whole COVID IL stint, like Mitch Hanniger's had more injuries that make you want to cross your legs than anyone ever in the history of the world. And yet we're reporting all his injuries and – we don't report, you know, coronavirus. I mean, really? I don't get it exactly. Like and they the are. And they thing. essentially are. Because, I, I mean, the ridiculousness That's of it, this. man. That's it. Totally. Like, I was going to say, like, if you take, like, I had a suggestion where you don't report any injuries this year and you just say someone's going to the IL. You don't know if it's a hamstring, a quad, or COVID. That okay. If everyone if, that if everyone's doing that, then at least you don't know 
who's has COVID and you're just not reporting it. But when you say, okay, this guy has an elbow issue and this guy is just going to the IL, it's like, well, we know why. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't, I understand that there's like medical things involved in this, but baseball had to think this through. The other part of this is that even I think they're gonna realize that this is silly and something's gonna change, but how can they walk it back now? Like they basically stated yesterday, and look, we don't know this for sure, and we are speculating, and I don't want to get in any trouble, but they put Scott Kingery and Hector Norris on the IL for for undisclosed reasons. I mean, right. we know what those are. Now, if baseball was to say, you know what, we're going to change, we're going to do something different, well, you just hurt the Phillies. Like, I mean, you didn't, I mean, I, I don't, I, and that's why for me, and, and, and fantasy baseball is my first love with this, and, and, I, and I couldn't wait to get back started again, but I'm saying to myself now, when is it safe to draft? Like, when? Like, I, I mean, we're going to, and, and, and I guess the, the contrarian to that is, well, there's injuries all the time. Yeah, but you know what they are. Like, I mean, like this right. is just so crazy. I, I can't believe that this is the road the road they're going. Yeah, no. Even if there was a, you know, even if they, it was on the up and up with the COVID and the IL and all that, even if that was the case, you still have a situation where if you're drafting a team right now and you lose a guy for 15 days to a hamstring injury, that's a quarter of your season. So really, why would you even bother with an IL this year? Just drop the guy. I mean, drop everyone who gets injured because there's literally no reason why you would hold anyone that's going to miss a quarter of the season. I mean, it's it's only 60 games. It's eight weeks. Just, you know, outside of weekly leagues, which are a difficult proposition uh, in, in a 60-game season, but in a daily league, I would just uh, treat it like DFS. Just churn, see what happens, have fun. At least you're watching baseball and That's playing fantasy baseball yeah, versus yeah. like, you know, sitting there and getting stressed out about everything else that's going on in the world. You know, have, you know, it's a, a distraction for a lot of people. So I'm fine with that. If it's a daily league, just churn your roster and go with whoever's hot and just keep moving through players off of waivers. But in a weekly league, it's total luck. I mean, whether or not you have someone who's made, uh, you know, who's like made 12 starts versus six starts, that's he's, that one guy is making twice as many starts. 12 to six doesn't sound like a big difference in a 162 game season. But if you have a player, a pitcher who's only making six starts this year, they're useless. Let's get them off your team. They I are. Mean, I mean, a fourth starter or a fifth starter on a, on a team that's sub 500, like what's to even consider in, in 2020? It's true. So so along those lines, here here is the key question at this point, because it's good. I mean, I don't know why fantasy, the community hasn't started asking the question now, but, you know, I'll ask you right now because this is the biggest question of the season. Are you drafting anyone that tests positive with COVID? Anyone? No, no, not even now. Right. You can't. Yeah. No, not from this point forward. Because, like, unfortunately, there's no real timetable. Some guys are like, OK, you know, 15 days and they're back. And if someone had COVID right now uh, on, you know, the 2nd of July, they should be fine for the start of the season. But other people have it for 30 days, then they feel weak and they need two weeks to get back up to steam. And it's like and two I negative tests after that. Right. Yeah, exactly. You, it, it, at this point, I, mean, I, I think I think COVID knocks everybody out of, of the player pool. And and and, the, and, I, and and again, it's it stinks that I keep having to mention Kingery and Norris. But those are like the two key guys that were mentioned yesterday, a closer. And Kingery was in a 162, maybe a 2020 guy. I, yeah. I feel like our fantasy community, someone's going to justify saying, well, it's good that he got it now. And then, you know, and, and, and I'll take my risk. Like, it's like, that's like the stupidest statement you could ever make. Like, I, I just, yeah. I don't, I don't think there is a, a top 20 round pick for any of those guys for me. And, and it's it just, no. and, and that's what makes it such a guessing game at this point. You know, it's crazy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, completely. I wouldn't. Yeah. I mean, like I said, if someone hits the IL, I'm, out on that player completely. I mean, unless it's like a crazy deep NL only league, then it's you. Well, put, you have no choice, right? And, yeah. And yeah, you you have no choice. You put Kingery or Neris on your IL, and you're like, okay, whatever happens, happens. But if I'm in most mixed leagues, I'm dropping anyone who goes on the IL, COVID or not. I'm like, you've got 
gotta move on. Like it's this is the shortest season ever. Like there's no point in waiting unless a guy unless it's like you know a top twenty five overall player. Otherwise, like I'm out. Right. We we can start having fun with like ADP and and next week I think we can dive a little bit deeper because. Uh, I, I think when you come back next week, we're going to know all the all the COVID cases, the initial ones. In fact, mm-hmm. you're going to hear a flurry of them over the next 48 hours because they've all the players have now been tested. So I know it stinks that the Phillies are being thrown under the bus for this, but there's going to there's going to be a lot of other teams as well. Um, where are you on Trout? Where are you on Trout in a in a mixed league? Uh, as of right this second when we're taping this, he is the third guy off the board in a mixed league. Okay. I. I don't know, like, you know, if someone listens to this on Saturday and they're like, yeah. what's Greg talking about? <laughs> <Trout's> <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll redo it. We'll redo it. I mean, there's a lot of caveats with everything I'm saying, but I, as right this second, Trout is the third guy off the board for me in a, uh, a mix. Who do you have one and two to start for now? Uh, Cunha and, and Yelich for right now. Yeah, I think you have to do it. Yeah. What, 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 are you, what are you putting the number of Trout's missed games at? with all of this, the guessing game of this? I would say probably two weeks, unfortunately. I mean, it, it has to be, like, he's going to leave for the birth of his child, correct? I mean, yeah. that's... that's he's already established that, and 72 hours is the right. minimum. So, you know, yeah, three right. Days. So, unfortunately, I mean, he's the kind of guy who can get the stats even in a pro-rated season. Right. You know, like, like I said earlier, the top 25 guys, I'll have a little more leeway with dropping them immediately. What? But, yeah, Trout is going to be a situation where he's going to miss two weeks, unfortunately. I mean, well, fortunately for him, but (laughs) for fantasy, it's unfortunate. Yeah. Anything good on TV? Anything you want to tell people before we go? I always always like to hit you up with. I'm uh, currently I'm watching a show called Dark on Netflix. And yeah, I, I was thinking of trying that. What are yeah, you, you should watch it because I'd love to hear your opinion on it because I don't know heads or tails what's going on. It's like one of those shows. Like it's basically like uh, hour uh, eight episode hour long episodes. So that's eight hours of the movie Inception, where you're like, wait, what's going on? Uh, Totally, am I following this or am I not? Dream within a dream that cannot be done. (laughs) It's a dream within a dream within a TV show? What's going on? Am I awake or asleep? Yeah, you have to have the top. I have have one here. (laughs) So, yeah, no, I... uh... So you should watch it. (laughs) So so you can tell me what's going on. I'm right there for it. There you go. Look at you. We're, so we're in the we're in the dream right now. Then that we is are. it doesn't exist. <laughs> Gary Sheffield's playing this year. What? Chef. <laughs> a wild idea. Anyway, anyway you can catch Brielle uh, right on Twitter. Who am I? The, who am I? The batting stance guy right now? What? <laughs> Gray Albright on Twitter, at Razball. Uh, all his good friends, Donkey T, Rudy Gamble, um, doing a great job over there. Fantasy football season is coming, too. And just like our coverage here, they cover it for you at Razball also. They have the Raz Bowl as well. Gray, have a great weekend. Thanks, as always. Really appreciate you coming on the show every week. I know it's just it's it's just common for most people, but you do go out of your way to do it. So thank you, okay? Yeah, no, it's a lot of fun. Thank all you. Right. Ray Albright from Razball. Thanks again to Matt Sells also for coming on the show. Thank you to Brett, Danny, and Ryan for producing. And for my co-host, Joe Pizapia, I'm Craig Mish. That'll do it for our Friday show. Have a great weekend. Have a great July 4th. Talk to you Monday. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com.